Welcome to the Pattern Podcast from KXE in London. As a church, we want to learn ways of being with Jesus, becoming like him and doing the things he did in order to see the city we love transformed. This podcast is a resource to help us explore these spirit-filled patterns of living and start putting them to practice every day. For this episode, we caught up with Roger Brotherton, a lecturer in psychology at the University of Lincoln. He specializes in developing character and virtues, one of which is curiosity. Pete James took the opportunity when Roger was visiting London to ask him more about this virtue and how we can practice it. So welcome to the Pattern Podcast. Today we're here with Roger Brotherton uh, to look at the subject of curiosity. Uh, Roger, thank you so much for for coming down and being with us here today in King's Cross. Uh, I just wanted to ask, this isn't something that immediately sprang to my mind uh, when thinking about spiritual disciplines, uh, curiosity, uh, but I'm really intrigued by it and would love to ask you more. So can you just start by telling us a little bit more about what you think uh, curiosity is? Yeah, well, it, I mean, it, I mean, that's everyone's response to it to begin with, isn't it? It's kind of, this isn't a Christian virtue. In fact, um, I mean, I know of at least two or three sermons that I've heard in my lifetime where I've heard sort of good Christian people saying, don't be curious, Um, it's sort of flippant, Um, it's uh, superficial, it it will lead you into all kinds of bad places. Um, There are even some uh, theologians through church history who've kind of viewed it as a vice that leads into heresy on some mm. level. So yeah, so you're not you're not the first person to go curiosity, really, really. Um, and so perhaps the the easiest way to sort of talk about it firstly might be from the psychological angle, which is what attracted me. And then I began to think about it more from the sort of biblical Christian point of view, and began to realise actually that curiosity has been a driver for my faith, for my sort of spiritual disciplines, uh, for a lot of my kind of growth in spirituality um, over the years, really, right from the beginning. Um, So from a psychological point of view, um, curiosity is two things. So so some people will talk about um, passive curiosity. So that's the kind of thing that drives um, clickbait on the internet. You know, when you see like those YouTube clips that are like, you know, 10 reasons why George Clooney is a sex symbol. Number seven will really surprise you. And Pete Hughes. (laughs) Yeah. Why Pete Hughes? Number seven will really surprise you. Well, it probably won't surprise you actually. But, um, you know, know, it's that kind of thing. And it's quite passive and it's dependent on our environment bringing up kind of novel things. So it's really the pursuit of just what's new. And quite rightly, I think that's the kind of curiosity we're a little bit suspicious about because new things aren't always good things. Mm. And in our culture at the moment, we do tend to have a bit of an obsession with novelty um, in that sense. Um, but, but active curiosity is when we sort of intentionally decide to, to look again at things that may already be quite familiar. Um, so active curiosity is what happens, say, in a marriage where uh, me and my wife have been married for uh, 15 years now. Um, no, it's actually 16 years. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been married for 16 years and yet we're still finding out new things about each other all the time. And it's almost like the deepening of our relationship is an intentional curiosity, an interest, a depth. Um, And when you look at psychological research that's done on this, where people are trained to be curious and then they're put in a room with strangers, then those strangers who meet them will say they're more engaging, um, they were more likeable, um, I felt the conversation was more meaningful. And so active curiosity has this capacity to deepen something that we already know. And that's the kind of curiosity that, that I think when we start to look biblically and we look at the Christian life, we see that all over the place. 
Very, very interesting. Uh, you can buy flowers for your wife on the way home. So, <laughs> that. so your your professional background is in psychology, and you spoke earlier about that almost being your your doorway into this from a faith point of view, from a Christian life point of view, from a kingdom of God point of view. Tell us a little bit more about curiosity in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Well, the the interesting thing for me uh, as a, a sort of young Christian, so I sort of really got serious about following Jesus around about the age of sixteen. And um, during that period of time, I had this really awful Saturday job where I was working in this stationery shop that no one ever came into, and it was really boring. But one of the things that did happen in that shop is it was a... um a, a, a place where people who had secondhand books would bring them and leave them before they were shipped on and sold elsewhere. And so we always had this pile of secondhand books knocking around and they were usually pretty mouldy and brown and useless. But anyway, one day I'm there, I've just, just started following Jesus, uh, been brought up in church, but starting to get serious about it and starting to kind of get the idea that God is real and there's something worth knowing in God. Um, and, and I just stumble across um, this little book and this pile of nonsense really um by aw tozer called the pursuit of god a very famous book i didn't know that then and i read this thought this is fascinating i took that book home and read it um and it just opened my eyes to this idea that um being christian um it is an active proposition it's about chasing after god um it's about being interested in god it's about deepening our relationship with god and when you read the stories about tozer he was doing things like reading the whole works of shakespeare on his knees praying all the way through it and things like that so really kind of radical um mystical curiosity that he had about all kinds of things not just the bible um, and so that idea of pursuit, that idea of seeking, there's one point in that in that book where Tozer says something like, um, the Psalms are filled with the yearning of the seeker and the glad shouts of the finder. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that kind of begins to sum up um, a large part of my Christian life. And in a sense, that's where curiosity in the full sense of the word, active curiosity, what's new here, what's deeper here, what can I look into? That That's kind of where I, I began to give that a name that I previously hadn't had for it before. It's just like I'm chasing after God in some way. So interesting. So, so it sounds like this is a, this is something that's about expanding you. It's about, um, is, it, is it, it's a practice of expansion essentially, but what, uh, would you say it's just about knowledge, expanding our knowledge, our knowledge of God, our knowledge of the works of Shakespeare, um, or or is it more than that? So, so traditionally, um, curiosity from a psychological point of view quite often is viewed as a cognitive thing, a, a kind of intellectual thinking thing, but actually it sits in a much bigger thing for human beings. So, I mean, we as human beings are biologically programmed from birth to be huge explorers. I mean, we're just powerful explorers. And anyone who's had kids or watched other people's kids know that, you know, for about two months, you have to look after them a lot, but they don't really move anywhere. And that's quite convenient. But then suddenly before you know it, they're arching their backs and rolling and crawling and walking and climbing and trying to find something sharp to headbutt, you know, if you turn your back on them and that kind of thing. Um, and that's, and that we seem to be biologically programmed to want to get out and explore and environment to find new things so curiosity is linked not just to kind of intellectual knowledge but to generally wanting to get to grips with the world around us um and sometimes i kind of i sometimes connect that to sort of the genesis story really where the genesis narrative says you know one of the first thing god says is you are free to eat all of the fruit of the garden um, and it's like this idea of as human beings, we want to get out there and understand things and expand ourselves. And that's not just intellectual. It's kind of it's every element of who we are. 
So he's spoken there uh, brilliantly about Tozer and about that bookshop and um, the general discovery there. What, what about the Bible? What have you seen of this in the scriptures, in the life of Jesus, the life of the first disciples? Um, where, do you see, where do you see curiosity in those settings? Yeah, so so I think when you look biblically, I, I mean, the word curiosity, I don't think has ever been used to sort of uh, translate any of the biblical terms. But I think if you look at the Greek word in the New Testament, zeteo, which, which is the sort of root word behind seeking um, in the New Testament, then I think that get, gets closest to what I'm meaning when I talk about curiosity in the spiritual life. Um, I, and for example, you just have to look through John's gospel to see how essential that is. So it's the first question that Jesus asks his, his sort of would-be disciples is, what are you seeking? Uh, sometimes it's um, translated, what do you want? What are you after? Um, what are you looking for? But probably more accurately, it's translated, what are you seeking? What are you chasing after? What, what are you going for? Um, and then all the way through John's gospel, it comes up over and over and over again. You know, you will seek for me and you won't find me and all that kind of thing. You then, um, in some of the other gospels, particularly in the parables, are just absolutely stuffed full of seeking and finding, shepherds seeking sheep and farmers seeking fruit and fathers seeking sons and merchants seeking pearls. And it just goes on and on and on. And sometimes in those stories, um, we are obviously the people, it's kind of Jesus putting us in the position of the seekers. We're looking for the kingdom of God and finding it. Um, perhaps more often it's actually God doing the seeking. God is the one kind of going, you know, who's out there who will work with me um, in all these kind of things. Um, and then I think my favourite occurrence of it, really, the, the one that sort of has gripped me the most is in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus talks about seeking first the kingdom of heaven. And the context of that is actually in the context of worry or anxiety. You know, don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your finances. Um, instead, seek the kingdom of heaven. All these things will be added to you. Prior to that, he's just said um, the Gentiles seek after these things. So he's using the same word. Don't seek that stuff seek this really good godly stuff so he even jesus sees that kind of duality in curiosity that there's things we shouldn't be curious about and things we should really push after um but, but the thing that's even more fascinating about that is is that from a psychological point of view a lot of psychologists will talk about how curiosity and worry cognitively speaking are the same process so they're both what psychologists warning you know there's some geeky language coming now but what both psychologists would call um a cognitive elaborative process which means they take something small and they expand it and expand it, expand it and work on it but the difference between say worry and curiosity is uh, they're both a response to uncertainty so they're both kind of saying i don't really know what's going on here and I want to think about it. But worry is always trying to achieve certainty. It's always saying, well, I'll swing around from fearing the worst to hoping for the best in my attempt to try and close the gap between what I do and don't know. Whereas what curiosity says, and curiosity about the kingdom of God, it says, I really believe there's something good in here if I can just hang around in this uncertainty for a while. Rather than jumping on the first pat answer that comes my way, let, let's actually hang around in this. Let's pursue it. Let's seek other sources. Let's talk to good godly friends and see what they make of it. Um, and so curiosity is almost like a positive response to uncertainty, um, which comes up all the time in discipleship, I think. Um, it, I mean, it, think about, we have those times when you read the Bible and you come across something you just really don't get. Either it, it, it's confusing or sometimes it's even morally abhorrent. You think, how can that, you know, how can that have happened? And that's a really good time to exercise curiosity in terms of it just saying, you know, right now, don't think I actually have the knowledge or the tools to answer that question, but I'm going to 
pose a question mark and I'm going to be curious and see what, you know, over, over the next period life brings to me that might help me make sense of the, the question that that's posed. That's amazing. I really think just anecdotally, even from my life or just from those that I speak to, I think there's a sense of being addicted to certainty, perhaps addicted to control and, and, and rubbing out uncertainty and the anxiety that that drums up in our life, which our lives are full of. So yeah. what's the relationship here with with speed? We kind of want the quick fix to our problems and all of that. Yeah. Um, this is a, this is you talked about hanging on in there in the moment. You say a little bit more about yeah. that. Well, well, the thing is, it, it, for for a question to emerge, it actually takes a bit of time. Um, so I was talking to um, someone last week from um, the youth organisation Youthscape. Have you ever encountered those guys? Yeah. And they, they've just nice. um, published a report called No Questions Asked, in which they um, sent one of their researchers asked. To, they wanted to know what questions are young people asking, and um, this this researcher came back and she said, "Well, actually." Do you know what? They're not asking any questions. <laughs> wow. And um, but I, I don't really know what that's about, but my hypothesis would be that um, there's something about living in a technological culture hmm. that says we can move from being bored or being confused to very quickly finding the answer almost immediately, and we don't have to hang around um, in uncertainty or boredom or, or those kind of things. We have a way of anaesthetizing that really quickly. Whereas I think what curiosity allows us to do it is just sit for a while in that area of confusion. You know, that sometimes that's all right. And, and, and if we refuse to be confused, it's very difficult to ever be creative at the far end of it. Um, and so from a psychological point of view, allowing ourselves just to sit with the idea there could be an answer here um, is what allows an answer to emerge. It allows something to come out of that background. Um, and even if you think in very, very basic terms, like in a lecture, if I give a lecture to undergraduate students, I know that I have to use all kinds of tricks and give them all kinds of time and all kinds of different ways to allow questions to emerge because it takes time for us mm. to identify what our questions might be. Um, and some of that is just being willing to sit in, in that sort of fertile void for a while. So if we don't pursue curiosity, don't give the space for it, always go for the quick fix and the, the quick Googleable answer and these things, what do you think as Christians uh, will be settling for? Good question. I I think we end up um, I, I think we end up really being consumerist. So we end up being um, so one of my observations of the Christian world generally, and one of the reasons I like what you're doing with pattern, it's it's kind of very active. What do you do? What practices do you create? Because if we don't turn things into practices, what what we end up with is um, that was a lovely message, um, next message, please. You know, we just go from one message to message. Like, we have have more information now than any other group of Christians in history, I'm pretty sure. Um, but it's what we do with it. Um, and the psychological thing is fascinating. So if you look at how you develop character psychologically, um, some of the research would su- suggest that being aware of a good quality of character, like hope, gratitude, love, etc., gives us a boost for about seven days. So for about seven days, we kind of we feel good about it, we feel satisfied with it, um, and then it fades, uh, and then we need the next thing. Um, whereas if we turn something into a practice, so we, we get curious and we get kind about how would I be grateful over the next few months, and it becomes practices and ways of doing it, then sometimes what you find is that that well-being boost then lasts for a month, three months, six months. You even find in some weird, uh, some weird research on things like compassion 
fashion, for example, that would say that sometimes six months down the road, people are actually flourishing even more than they were when they first heard about it because they've turned it into a practice and it's sort of grown and become a virtuous circle for them. And I've sometimes wondered, I, I don't know if this is true, but I've sometimes wondered whether that's why sometimes church has settled into a seven-day cycle where you get an inspirational message one week that takes you through the week and then you're ready for your next thing and that takes you through the thing. And so we end in that kind of, you know, yeah, lovely message, next message, please. And I think that's where we end up if we don't get really curious about, you know, actively, what do I want to chase? What matters to me? And I think all our spiritual disciplines ultimately are driven by desire. They're driven by, I, I think that's when I read Tozer, that's what it did to me. It was like, there's something wonderful and deep here in God that it's it's a struggle to find sometimes. And sometimes I wonder if it's true, you know, you have all those kind of things. But nevertheless, if I just engage with that process, there's something here. There's something really worth looking at. Um, I, and then I think when you look in the way, for example, the writers of the Hebrews defines faith and talks about faith as not just believing that God exists, but believing that he rewards those who seek him. It's this idea that faith on the one hand has this passive quality to it. We receive something from God, something that was given to us, something we couldn't have achieved for ourselves. But then it also has this active quality to it as, but there's more and we can just chase it and find more and push after some of those insights, revelations, ways of doing things than we wouldn't know if we just sort of passively received what came our way. Amazing. Okay, so if we were to start almost taking this a little bit more practical um, and looking at the practice of curiosity, are there very simple things that we can do to start exploring this um, and practicing it in our daily life? I mean, the first thing to say on this, that there are, from a psychological point of view, there are entire books written on all the ways you can practice curiosity. So you can go and look those up. I'll give you the details later. Um but then I think in, in terms of our spiritual life with God, I, I think there's all kinds of ways of practicing curiosity. So if I just give you some headlines, you can yeah, kind of just please. pick them up. Um, so, so I think one of the things is, for example, is there a book in the Bible that you're just really fascinated by at the moment that you haven't looked at yet? Um, I've actually found that when I've been curious about the Bible in that way, some of the greatest insights. So for a while, I just felt really intrigued by um, James's epistle. I just really wanted to read it and get to grips with it and spend time in it. Um, and um, I mean, it's a much longer story, but some of the insights I got from that, I turned into psychological theories and they then, you know, did research and all kinds of stuff just came out of that, that initial curiosity. Um, I think also... Um, Sometimes in the way we meditate and contemplate the Bible, it's quite nice to take, um, you know, sometimes we think the difficulty with the Bible is sometimes we are over familiar with it. E either we don't know it at all, in which case we just need to get into it and enjoy it, or, and, and that's one form of curiosity, or, or we know it too well, which means we know how every saying ends, how every story ends, there's, you know, there's no um, surprise. And sometimes it's nice to read half a Bible verse and say, and ask ourselves a question, what would it be like if this Bible verse finished with the opposite of, of what we think. You know, what if Jesus hadn't said, um, you know, um, the, the last will be first and the first will be last, and instead say, actually, the first will be first. You know, power matters. Well, you know, what, what's the contrast between that kind of leadership and the kind of leadership Jesus um, exemplified? Think about the Psalms where it talks about God being compassionate. What if you replace the word compassionate with compassionless? what would God be like, you know, what is being said there. So it begins to just get you to think about those kind of things. It's also actually quite a nice psychological sort of approach that 
you find sometimes with people who are very cognitively biased, for example, so they tend to be sort of quite thinky people, if you like, um, that they kind of will struggle with some of the more emotional aspects of kind of charismatic worship in terms of they don't find the content of it particularly mentally stimulating. And sometimes actually, I mean, not wanting to offend anyone, you can take you can take some of the worship songs we sing and think, what if you place the word love here with hate? What's the difference? Why am I singing love instead of hate? Or why am I singing grace instead of effort? Um, why am I singing blessing instead of curse? And you start to just play with those kind of ideas. Um, then, then if you've done anything like Lectio Divina with um, Lectio Divina, sorry, with the Bible, um, there's the idea of just sometimes reading the Bible in different places, and different emotions can actually lead to different insights into what's what's there. Um, also in prayer, what, what kind of questions are we asking God? It's nice to take a question to God. Um, one of one of the really nice ways of being curious, I think, think of an area of sin where perhaps it's been compulsive for a while and you don't know how to get out of it and you've been struggling with it for a bit and you go to God not, uh, yes, perhaps confessing, but maybe with a deeper question that says, God, what's the strategy that you might have for me that would get me out of it? You know, what, what, should, what else should I be focusing on instead? Right, this is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And we've been talking a bit at KFC about how the journey inward is the journey outward, yeah. that, that as we learn to practice these things from... Uh, peace to courage. Uh, they, they should be good news for our neighbour. They yeah. shouldn't just shape us. And I think we've heard a bit there about how uh, this journey of curiosity can kind of expand our faith and and um, our, our just understanding of God and who we are in God um, and not settling for quick fixes. Um, what what about the journey outward? How might, if we start to practice this whole idea of curiosity, how might it actually be good news for our neighbour? How might it expand our, our, our relationship outward to the world? And we're keen as KXC to interact with the city and to see it renewed. Um, how can this practice help us do that? Be- because curiosity deepens our relationship with other people, it's a really, really good way of being interested in what's going on with other people. Um, and therefore, what curiosity does is it outframes our sense of a good and a bad way to interact, a successful and a failing way to interact, um, what's right and wrong in the way I interact with someone, and just becomes interested in where they're at. And one of the reasons that that's so fascinating is um, that quite often people are having spiritual experiences with God that we don't know about because they don't tell us about it. Um, So, for example, there's been research done that looks at um, spiritual experiences such as answering to prayer, seeing a presence in nature, um, uh, finding meaning in life, um, uh, experiencing moments of unity. Um, And that kind of research was done in the 1980s. It was done later in the 2000s. And what the research suggests in the UK population, when you look at a Mori poll of all that kind of thing, is that in the 1980s, roughly half the people interviewed would say, yes, I've had an experience in that. By the 2000s, it was about 75% of people were beginning to say, yes, that's happened to me. Um, But then when they're asked, have you told anyone about these things? Most people who aren't in a church or connected to anything will say no. And then they'll they'll be asked why and they'll say, because if the person's religious, they'll try and convert me if I tell them. Um, And if they're not religious, they'll think I'm completely mad for having brought this up. And so my, my assumption is that people around us all the time are having experiences that we don't know about unless we really show some interest. And curiosity, rather than trying to box in what someone says straight away, 
kind of says, that's it, Let, tell me more, tell me about it, talk to me about it. And it just becomes a place of connection. Sometimes I've had friends who've said, you know, I'm having a spiritual crisis, and we talk about why they're having a spiritual crisis and what's going on there. And then occasionally, for me, those those conversations will lead into me either sort of sharing my faith um, or, um, or, or or maybe praying for that person. Um, and curiosity in that context really says, I don't know what's going to happen when I pray for this person who's got a cold or a headache or... Um, uh, one of my favourite stories was praying for one of my administrators' dogs that was ill, you know, and all, all these kind of things. Uh, and you don't quite know what the outcome of that is going to be. It might work, it might not work. Um, but but you go in with a sense of curiosity and a sense of it being a bit of an experiment. You know, I believe that God is good. I believe that he does wonderful things all the time. I don't know if this is one of those moments where things are wonderful and, and wonders occur. It may not be, but what, what it is is the moment where I just live in a curious way towards God and see what happens. The The other way to be curious, just to add into that as well, is just really constantly asking God, what do you want me to do here? What, what What's going on in this situation? How should I make sense of this? Is there a thread of life that you're sort of weaving through this situation that I need to pursue and chase after? Uh, and so sort of discerning God in the real world, wherever we are. Um, because if I if I can sum up, I mean, I, I, I've, although I've led in church, I've never worked for a church as such. And so I've always been sort of working in uh, hospitals, universities, large organisations. Um, and the thing that I found in all those situations is that Jacob's words in the Bible where he says, God is here and I knew it not. I found that to be true over and over and over again is when you're in those situations and you start to get curious about what's going on, quite often you run into God and you're like, I did not expect to meet God in this situation. But suddenly the Holy Spirit has arrived and something's going on that you hadn't seen before that. And I think that part of that is about being curious and seeking God and looking out for him in those contexts. Incredible. I think one of the things that we are desperate to combine here at KXC is is the power and presence of God. So being being um, practicing His presence uh, in in our daily life and seeing seeing the Spirit move, being people of the Spirit, and yet combining it with these with these spiritual disciplines and um, and our daily choices to actually walk with Him. It sounds to me like what you're saying with the curiosity here is is that actually there's a deep relationship between adventure and the Spirit and curiosity um, and and expanding our faith as we explore oh, what might god do is that is that is do you see a, a good relationship between curiosity and the spirit yes so i so i would um I, I quite often view curiosity exploration and adventure as all really tightly related things but but also in what i was saying just then a moment ago as well you see the relationship between curiosity and wonder mm. and one of the things that that fascinates me biblically is that when when God does something that we might call a miracle, for example, more often in scripture, it's either called a sign or a wonder. And quite often people praise God for his wonders. Um, and so I just think it's fascinating that curiosity has that thing of, I wonder what would happen mm. in this situation if I just did this or said that um, without putting the whole weight of heaven and hell on your actions. I'm just going to try and find out. And if it gets knocked back or if it doesn't work out or if it turns out that this was the inappropriate moment to ask someone if I could pray for them and they're, you know, they're really shocked and don't want to do it, then, then I accept that, well, I was just curious about what would happen and I've got my answer now. And Roger, I just can't help but want to ask you, um, uh, given your expertise in the world of psychology, uh, your deep Christian faith um, and and your own personal journey of trying to practice different mm -hmm. spiritual disciplines, um, 
it, as a church, we're trying to make this journey into spiritual patterns of living, into these into these practices. Very aware that there are all sorts of trappings and, and things you can you can trip over as you start to go down this road. Is there anything as a psychologist with a deep Christian faith that you would want to say to us as a church as we start out on this journey? So I think the first thing is we need to place spiritual disciplines or, or pattern or um, kind of rule of life in in the big picture. So we have to have a big picture. So I, I think the entire story of the Bible can be told through the word fruit. So it starts off in a garden, good fruit and bad fruit. We eat the good fruit, but we also eat the bad fruit. It then becomes a nation that's designed to develop good fruit, but doesn't do it. Um, then Jesus and John the Baptist come along and they say, you were supposed to develop this fruit and never occurred. But then Jesus says, thanks to me. And if you abide in me, you will develop this fruit of the spirit. Then Paul takes that on and says, and now with the Holy Spirit living in us, you know, goodness, kindness, joy, all this kind of stuff is going to come out of us. Um, and then it ends in a city um, in Revelation with a huge tree that has fruit and leaves for the healing of the nations. And it's like this idea that God's plan in the big picture really is to develop wonderful qualities of human character that are not just blessings to us as individuals but they bless everybody around us so you have to remember that um fruit in in a fruit tree fruit is not the outcome fruit is the way that trees produce more seed that's what they do it's not that's not the end of the process that's just the beginning because the fruit then goes on and does more things so firstly we have to put it in that big picture we also have to kind of recognise that actually for most of us, God has already seeded those things in us. Um, so when you look at international research done on five million people in every nation around the world, um, looking at goodness, kindness, gratitude, um, self-control, etc., what you find is that even outside of Christianity in any context in any part of the world for about the last 3000 years anytime anyone sits down and goes hmm, what does a good life look like they come up with things that look pretty similar actually weirdly um so there's this sense of the human race has these good seeds put within them and so what that means when we come to christ and we want to develop those things further and we're filled with the holy spirit then i think quite often what we find is that we develop best if we just begin to spot what it is that god's put in us so rather than going my self-control's naff and i'm always trying to make that work we go but hang on a sec my bravery is really good so let's build on some of my bravery maybe i can use my bravery if eventually to kind of come back and help me with my self-control because that involves facing things bravery bravely and bringing some of that strong things for me it would be curiosity is really high but my bravery is really low but i can be incredibly brave if i think i'm being curious about something so um so i would say that that we build our, our, our kind of model and our patterns best when we build on what's already strong in us and we allow those strengths to address our weaknesses um, it, we should also think about how we model ourselves on other people. So if you want to develop a particular strength, a particular kind of fruit, find someone who does that really well. So loads of research on spiritual modeling. You want to be grateful, find someone who's grateful. You want to be self-controlled, find someone who's self-controlled. want to be persistent, find a persistent person and just say, what, what would they do in this situation? And then finally, um, when it comes to practices, one of the things that psychologists seem to say is they say that the best practices, the practices that do us the most good and grow us most as people are marked by two qualities. They tend to be kind. So they're not judgmental. You're not telling yourself you're an idiot if you can't do it. And, you know, on days when you wake up and it's really difficult, you don't beat yourself over the head about it. It tends to be kind. 
Um, and they tend to be curious in terms of you're actually really, really interested in what you're going to find out when you push a particular thing further. And so those would be the three things I'd go with. I'd say, you know, sticking in a big picture, you need that big picture of what God is doing in the world to make sense of it. Um, secondly, grow what God has seeded in you already. Work out what those things are and allow those things to grow and use those to address the things that are weak. And then whatever practice you choose, make sure that you bring to it loads of kindness and loads of curiosity, because that's what will maintain the practice. Great, Roger. We've gone on a journey there, and I suppose that's appropriate with curiosity and the adventure that is a practice of curiosity. If you could just, for those listening in, just give us a recap, almost a, a bullet point. What is curiosity? How does it shape us? And what might be the impact in the world around us? So I think curiosity spiritually is looking at things that previously were familiar for a second time and wondering what's new here. And what that does for us as people, particularly in our relationship to God, is it deepens, um, it enriches. It means that we see things in God that we hadn't see previously seen. I think what it does in the world is it means we're much more engaged in life. Because suddenly life isn't this passive thing that happens to us. It's something that's there to be explored and to take a bite out of. And so I think if we wanted to practice curiosity every day, I, th I think one of the ways of doing it might be just to take a period of time and just spend some time praying, God, what are you up to right now? And then maybe 20 minutes later, God, what are you up to now? And then we just join in whatever we think God is doing. Roger, thank you so much. That's been extremely interesting and insightful, and I really hope it stirs our church up in the things of the Spirit. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Pattern Podcast. If you'd like to explore more spiritual patterns of living, head over to pattern.org.uk.